0: Well, we are in Psalm 123, so open up to Psalm 123, and as you turn there, I want to share a story, a historical story, about the Emperor Napoleon, a man with a lot of power who happened to be short in stature. One day a woman approached Napoleon on behalf of her father. And she came to this great, powerful emperor, and she said to him, Sir, I would ask that you would spare my father. And Napoleon asked, Who are you? And she said her name, and and he was somewhat familiar with the case. And, And he said, Look, your father is a traitor. He committed treason. He deserves to be punished. And she said, It's not for justice that I'm asking you. It is for mercy. Think about that. It's not for justice that I'm asking. It is for mercy. I think, as was alluded to earlier in the prayer time, I think there's a lot of things going on in the world, and we do want justice. There's a lot of hardship. There's a lot of horrific things going on overseas here in the United States. Week after week, day after day, it seems like another difficult story comes out. And people cry, justice. And I wonder, and I hope after today, looking at Psalm 123, that maybe we would change that cry a little bit and say, God, grant us mercy. Grant us mercy. We've been walking through the Psalms of Ascent. These psalms that we believe were sung by the people of Israel as they, three times a year at least, went up to worship in the temple. And it seems that these psalms from uh, 120 and the next 15 psalms were sort of a hymnal, a songbook along the way as they walked to Jerusalem. Last week we looked at Psalm 122, which talks about being inside the gate of Jerusalem. And so it appears this would have been one that was used when they arrived there. And so now we come to Psalm 123. And what amazes me most about these Psalms of Ascent are how much I would not have anticipated this being the sort of thing they would sing about along their way. And it really has challenged me in my personal worship, and I hope us as a church, how do we prepare our hearts for worship? How do we live in worship in our day-to-day lives? One theologian says of Psalm 123, it is a prayer of the whole nation in a condition of long-continued humiliation. Long-continued humiliation. So let me read for you. You can follow along in your own Bible. Psalm 123. I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till He shows us mercy. Have mercy on us, Lord, have mercy on us, for we have endured no end of contempt. We have endured no end of ridicule from the arrogant, of contempt from the proud. This is a song of crying out in a desperate situation, of going through hardship. And I think it's very interesting that this would have been part of their journey of worship as they walked to the temple, crying out for mercy. I don't know what you have come here today with on your heart, and your mind, or in your lives. But I'm guessing some of you are going to resonate with the words of this psalm. And the need in a difficult situation to say, God, grant me mercy. So let's start with the idea of lifting our eyes in verses 1 and 2. Right away we see that we need to lift up our eyes. We could go around with tunnel vision and, and blinders on and just look at our situation. And I think sometimes when difficulty comes, we're tempted to look at our own lives and say, well, what can I do about this? Here's my skill. Here's my knowledge, my background. I can work my way out of this. This is what I'm going to do. And we have our blinders on. Or maybe we're in a situation and we say, well, I have this friend and this person over here and this agency and all these things are here to help me and this is what I can do. We still have blinders on. And we need to lift our eyes up He says, I lift my eyes up to you. It is a conscious decision to lift our gaze, to lift our focus, to say, I will look to the Lord of heaven and earth. So there's a couple reasons for this. One, because he's God. You hear me say this often. God is God and I am not. It is something that I have found in my own life, keeps me in my place constantly, day after day, in my family and especially in ministry. It is so tempting in ministry to say, well, if I just do this with this person and I just say this, it'll fix their life. Or if I just do this over here, we'll get an inner city church planted. Or if we do this over here, we'll grow to a million people. It's so tempting. But to stop and say, wait a minute. God is God. I am not. And for you to remind yourself, God is God. You are not. We're studying In Sunday school, the attributes of God. Doug, we're actually using the knowledge of the holy by A.W. Tozer as sort of our background material. Isn't that interesting how God works those things out? Because we need a big picture of God. We need to know who he is so that we can lift up our eyes. And so here we see the psalmist declaring to you who sits enthroned. Now just stop there for a second. Imagine a peasant walking into a throne room of a king. Okay, The peasant back home maybe has a, a straw shack and a goat and like a puddle of mud. That's his, his earthly possessions. That's everything. And he's got his raggedy clothes on and he's, he's walking up the hill to the palace. And he enters the palace and he's let in because he needs to see the king. And he comes into the throne room and it's marble and it's gold leaf and it's just amazing. There's all these servants that are dressed more richly than he could ever afford in his entire life and they're just the servants. And he walks into the throne room. And there, up several flights of stairs, is this ornate, richly carved chair, the throne of the king. And upon the throne is the king. All of this is laid out so that the peasant is down here and the king is up there. So everyone who comes into his presence is reminded, I am the king and you are not. And the peasant comes and he has his goat and his puddle of mud and his shack and his raggedy old clothes and he comes and that's the king. But now, take that picture and add the next word. To you who sit enthroned in what? Heaven. Heaven is God's throne. This is no earthly palace. This is no earthly set of stairs or an earthly chair. This is heaven above all of creation, above all of the earth, in the spiritual and the physical realm. The Lord is enthroned in heaven. We're not lifting our eyes to some earthly king or some earthly hope or some earthly candidate for president. We're lifting our eyes to the Lord of heaven and earth. I lift my eyes to you who sit enthroned in heaven. The emphasis here is on God's sovereignty. He is all powerful. We lift our eyes to God because He is greater than us and He is in control of whatever situation we're going through. So we lift our eyes up to God because He is God. But we also lift our eyes up to God because we are not. Look at the next couple phrases. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their masters. As the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of her mistress. So our eyes look to the Lord, our God. Servants don't tell their masters what to do. Servants don't run into the presence of the king and say, King, listen up. Got some things going on you need to hear about. I've got A, B, and C. And here's what you're going to do. If you would just sign these papers, check this off. This is what you're going to do. I know you want to do this, but no, 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 this is what you're going to do. Servants don't do that. How often do we rush in God's presence in prayer and say, God, here's the situation in my life and here's what you're going to do about it. And God, you have to, because I did my devotions this morning. I gave money at the church. You have to. As if God is our servant. This psalm throws that on its head. We are the servants and He is the King. He is God and we are are not. Servants come looking for help. And when a servant is in a desperate situation, the servant comes looking for mercy to the one who can help them, to the one who is more powerful than them. So we need to remember and lift our eyes because He is God and we are not. And we need to do this constantly, continually. Look at that next phrase, till He shows us His mercy. We've called this series Along Obedience in the Same Direction. The pilgrimage of worship throughout the Christian life is a long walk of faith, of trusting in Jesus Christ that He has saved us from our sins, but also walking day by day in worship and in obedience. It's hard. And how often along the way do we hit a stumbling block and we we fall over and we say, oh God, what happened to you? God, you failed me now! And God's thinking, I haven't changed one bit. I love the image here of this humble servant saying, I will keep on asking for mercy till he shows me mercy. So if you're in a situation and you're struggling and you're crying out for mercy, keep crying out to God. And don't listen to the lie that says he's not listening or he's not doing anything. He is. He is. Keep on trusting Him for the long haul till He shows us mercy. So we know God is sovereign. We know He is God and we are not. And hopefully we look to Him. Yet we do get in these desperate, difficult situations. So let's look at the rest of the psalm, verses 3 through 4. Let me read this for us again. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us, for we have endured no end of contempt. We have endured no end of ridicule from the arrogant, of contempt from the proud. This is a desperate situation. Notice the repetition in these verses. When you see repetition in Scripture, that's God's way and the author's way of saying, watch this, this is important. And he cries out several times, have mercy. This is not somebody living a carefully carefree life, jumping up and down in worship, just loving the Lord, everything's going great. This is somebody down on their knees in the dust of the earth, crying out desperately, not knowing where else to go. Now let's talk about the situation of this psalm. Because again, as we deal with these psalms of ascent, there's the situation that they were first written to And then eventually they were put together to be these psalms of ascent. And so there's sort of different contexts that we can look at. So let's talk about the situation of the psalm, just using the clues that were given here in the psalm. The author's situation, and I believe he's speaking on behalf of the nation, is that they're enduring contempt and ridicule from proud and arrogant people. Contempt and ridicule. They're being scorned. They're being mocked. They're being picked on. All of their flaws are being pointed out. They're not shown any mercy, any justice, any grace from the surrounding environment. They are struggling. And who is it that's doing this to them? The NIV has proud and arrogant. The English Standard Version has those who are at, those who are at ease. The picture is probably of wealthy people that think they don't need anything hurting the poorer people that are seeking to follow God. So here, to to put this in picture, somebody who thinks they don't need anything and that they've won or gathered everything that they have, they've built themselves up, they're sort of self-made people, and they're looking down at somebody in a desperate situation that's in need and they're mocking them and scorning them. Look how great I am and look how poor you are. Look at how you're struggling. They're just rubbing it in. Using the term servant probably means that the people in the psalm that are struggling are the faithful followers of God. They're the servants of God. They're, they're saying, God, we're following you and we're catching flack because of it. Have you ever faced that? Maybe from family members or coworkers, or neighbors. But there's more. Because he says, I see we have endured no end of contempt at the end of verse 3 there. Verse 4, we have endured no end of ridicule that phrase there no end is very interesting it literally means filled up we are filled up with contempt we might use the phrase i can't take any more i'm at the end of my rope Th- these people in their lives have poured into their lives hatred, animosity, contempt, and it just keeps coming and coming and coming, and they're crying out saying, I can't take it anymore, God. Take it away. Have mercy. I am filled up, and I can't take anymore. So the author of this psalm, I believe on behalf of the nation, is crying out saying, God, we're in a desperate situation, and we need mercy. Which brings up an interesting point. At some point, I don't know who, somebody decided to gather these together and make these 15 psalms the Psalms of Ascent. Why would you include this psalm? Pastor Al and I get together and Marilyn and I get together from time to time and we lay out worship for the next couple of weeks. we say, okay, this is what we're studying. Here's some songs that go along with it. This will work great for this Sunday and this Sunday and this Sunday. We try to be as intentional as we can. Why would you take a psalm like this, and frankly, any of the other psalms of ascent, and say, yeah, this will really prepare people as they come to worship in the temple. This desperate cry for mercy. I believe it's because when we come to worship God, we need to understand how desperate we are. We need to understand how desperate the situation is in our own life. Because it is. Mercy is when you look at somebody in a hopeless, difficult situation, powerless to help themselves, and you reach in and you help them. That's mercy. They don't deserve it. In fact, often they may exactly deserve what they're getting in the situation, but you rescue them. That's mercy. Let's talk about God's mercy for us. Look at the desperate situation from Isaiah 57, 20-21. But the wicked are like the tossing sea which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. The Bible says we are all sinners. So when it describes the wicked here in Isaiah, it applies to all of us. And look at the rich poetic language being tossed like the sea. The waves cast up mire and mud. Have you ever been to the shore of Lake Ontario? When there's just muck and sludge and weeds and things you don't even want to mention floating on the surface. And the waves are just lapping it up on the shore, leaving this slimy film behind. That's the picture here of the wicked being tossed in the ocean in the mire and the muck. This is a desperate situation. This is the situation of every person apart from salvation of Jesus Christ. We're desperate. We're helpless. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says, but because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in what? Mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God saw us in the desperate, lost situation, helpless, hopeless in our sin, and His mercy overflowed. And He reached down to us through Jesus Christ, And He saved us. I want to go to another passage to show what God has done. Turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. I'd like you to have it in front of you. I'll put it up on the screen for us. And Let me read verses 22 through 26, I believe it is. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. I want to look at just three key ideas in this. In just verses 24 and 25, three key words that he talks about. The first is justify justified God in his mercy has justified us the picture here is of a legal setting standing before a judge and you're guilty you did it you deserve the punishment and God says all of that proper just punishment that you deserve I will take off of you and I will put it on my son Jesus Christ when he died upon the cross and he will pay the justice for your sins and you will be justified. God looked at our desperate situation of being guilty because of our sins. And He showed us mercy through Jesus Christ. The other word is redeemed. It says we have redemption. Here is the picture of the slave market. Human beings trapped, maybe even in a cage, and people walking around them saying, How much am I going to pay for this person? How much? And God comes and He says, I will pay the price to save you, to free you. I will redeem you and bring you out of that slavery to sin. He looked at the desperate situation of us being enslaved to sin and He redeemed us through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. The final word in verse 25 is propitiation in some translations or "atone for. This is an interesting picture that is coming out of the Old Testament. Throughout Scripture, sinners are under the wrath of God. We don't like talking about that. It's not a very modern idea. I like to use the picture of an ice cube coming close to the sun. I've used this before. If you imagine an ice cube going... I don't know if an ice cube could be in outer space. Probably, I suppose. It's cold enough for it. But hey, for you physics people out there, just ignore the the problems with this, okay? But imagine as the ice cube gets closer and closer and closer to the sun. Imagine it's right there, right next to the surface of the sun. How long is that ice cube going to last? (laughs) Just gone, one millisecond. When sinners come into the presence of a holy God, it is not this joyous, wonderful, I'm here, God, woohoo, five seconds in heaven. This is so awesome. This is great. That's not how it is. For a sinner to come into the presence of God is horrible. It is awful. And the word that the Scripture uses to describe that feeling, that experience, what we're getting from God and His ultimate holiness and our ultimate sinfulness, the word is wrath. It's awful. And so here we are under the wrath of God that we deserve. And God says, I will take that wrath. And I will take it off of you and I will put it on my Son. And on the cross, He poured out His wrath and He propitiated, He atoned for, He covered over the wrath and removed it from us. In our most desperate situation of being guilty, dead, enslaved to sin, under God's wrath, God showed us mercy in Jesus Christ. I hope that if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, I hope that something I have said has convinced you how desperate you are. And you might say, wait a minute, that's not, I don't come to church to say how desperate I am. That's not why I show up. I come to church to feel good about myself. Oh, there's so much goodness to come in Jesus Christ. There is so much encouragement along the way. But I believe the psalmist and whoever put these psalms of ascent together knew something that we have forgotten. We need to start by realizing just how desperate we are and then to look to God in our desperation and cry out for mercy. And we, standing on this side of the cross, know how He has given us that mercy And I pray that if you're here and you've never accepted the mercy for you that's available for you in Jesus Christ, that today would be the day. Because when you cry out for mercy, Jesus is the answer. It's already there. It's already been done. It's already been accomplished. We are in desperate situations all the time. And maybe you're here today and and you've received Christ, but you're still going through a difficult situation. I want you to know that the God of mercy who showed you mercy by giving his son Jesus Christ on the cross for you hasn't changed one bit. And the same mercy that saved you through the cross of Jesus Christ is at work in your life right now. Keep trusting. Keep crying out. Keep looking to the mercy that God gives it is possible that the mercy that God is going to give into your life will come tomorrow, maybe even today. Maybe your situation will change today, tomorrow, or the next day. Maybe it won't come for a year or two. Maybe it won't come until Jesus Christ returns. But it will come. Keep on crying out. But there's another charge to us throughout Scripture. Those throughout Scripture that have received mercy... Have a responsibility to turn around and live mercy. We are to show mercy to other people. Yesterday, a few people were talking to me at the block party, and we were talking about hey, we haven't had a church picnic in a while. But last summer, we did all these church picnics. Wouldn't it be great if we did a church picnic? And I'm looking around going, this is it. <laughs> Only we're not calling it a church picnic, we're calling it a block party. Because the goal of this is not just to get our church together, although we did that. It's not just for us to have fun, although we did that too. At least I did. It's not just to dunk the pastor in the dunk tank, although we did that too. It's to invite people to hear about Jesus Christ. It's getting together with a purpose. To look beyond ourselves to others. If you've been shown mercy in your life, and if you are a Christian, the answer to that is yes. You have been shown mercy. You need to turn around and show mercy to others. It doesn't make sense for Christians to be judgmental when we know how much we've been saved by Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean we just say okay to all the sins of the world. No. It means we point them to Jesus Christ who can show them mercy and change them as well. Mercy becomes like a flood of water that overflows in our lives. It becomes like a a beam of light that is shown into our life through Jesus Christ, through His cross and His resurrection. And then we become a, a mirror, a diffuser that spreads that light all around us. So that when people look to us and they're looking for the source of the light, they don't stop at us. They don't stop at Pastor Dave. They don't stop at you. They don't stop at Orchard. They look to Jesus. And they cry out for mercy.